over the last three weeks, we have been in this series talking about how Jesus has all authority over all things. So we saw, as in, in week one, this is true because Jesus is the creator of all things. We find that taught very clearly. Genesis 1, Psalm 104, John 1, Colossians 1, many other places in the Bible tell us Jesus is the creator of all things. And if he's the creator of all things, we said in week one, he has authority then over all things that exist. So in the second and third weeks of this series, we talked about some very direct applications of his authority that are under attack in our culture as this culture we live in rebels against God and his creative designs. And so we walked through Genesis 1 and part of Genesis 2, kind of unpacking that over the last few weeks. And adults, if you weren't here for those uh, sermons, I'd encourage you to go and listen to them. You can get them on our podcast channel. You can go to YouTube or you can go to Facebook and they're all still up there for you to view and get caught up. But this morning, we're in the fourth week of our series, and our focus this morning is on God's authority over the church. God's authority over the church. And I think this is really important for us to understand and be able to apply before we turn to the remaining weeks in this series, and we still have a few to go, because we need to understand what we do and how we do it, and that's something all of us, including the kids who are in here today, really should understand. Why do we do the things we do? What do we do when we come to church? And why? Why is that the case? So as we begin to think through this topic and some of the applications of it, we're going to again start with a great declaration, command, and promise that comes from Christ and that all of us, young and old, should be familiar with. It comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, I've said this multiple times in this very series, but since we have our kids in here, kids, listen really carefully. There are three really important things that we see in this passage. The first is that Jesus declares he has all authority over heaven and earth. So there's nothing outside of Jesus' authority, nothing beyond his control. He's the ruler. He's the sovereign one, the God over all things. Second, Jesus commands that we go and make disciples of all nations. He tells us he has all authority. He commands us to make disciples of all nations. This is why we exist. This is the whole purpose of God's people still being here on this earth. This is the mission God has given to Christians. The reason why Jesus tells us to come together like this as a church, to work together to accomplish a mission of spreading his message and making disciples of people from all nations, not just one little area. We weren't called to just reach Israel and that's good enough or reach Rome and that's good enough. We need to reach all the nations across all the world. And third, the promise. Jesus promises that he is with us always to the very end of the age. Now that's really good news for us because that means there's never a moment, kids, in your life or in my life that Jesus isn't with us. There's never a place that we can go and we've left him behind. He's somewhere else. There's never a problem or a challenge that we can face that Jesus is not right there with us in the midst of it. He's always with us. The one who has all authority over all things is always with you and me. So we can trust him and obey him no matter what, no matter where we are. Now, very often when we hear Matthew 28, 18 to 20, this, this great commission as we call it, we think specifically about missions 
And for kids, for a lot of you in this room, we think specifically about BGMC because that's how you are helping give to and support missions, right? So last year, we raised money for missions. Anyone remember roughly how much money we raised last year for BGMC missions? Coach does. What do you think, Coach? More than 3,000. 3,500. Do you want to get more specific? Do you remember? 3,225? Nope. 3,500 and something. 53? You're close. Very close. $3,539.76, to be precise. That's how much money we raised for BGMC last year. It's how much money you guys, kids, raised for BGMC last year so that kids all around the world can learn about Jesus. It's a lot of money. And we were able to do some awesome things with that money, and we're excited about that. We praise God for that. Some of those funds that we raised this year as we just took up our first BGMC offering will go to places that we'll be learning about this year. So every month, if you're an adult and you don't get to go to kids' church and have all the fun with Malia and all them back there, on one Sunday a month, Malia teaches a BGMC lesson, and we focus on where BGMC works are happening around the world and what those countries are like and what BGMC is doing there. And we focus in on how the money these kids raise for BGMC helps those things happen. And so some of our funds go all around the world to different places that the kids will get to learn about, like the, ba- the, the picture that's on the badge inside of your bag today, the country of Liberia. Liberia. Now, if you don't know where Liberia is, I'm going to show you right here. It's a nation in Africa. It's actually right next to Ivory Coast. And I hope when I say Ivory Coast, that that sparks something in the minds of most of you adults, because we support a missionary on the field who's in Ivory Coast. Her name is Brianna Johnson. So right here, this little red guy, this is Liberia. And then right next to it is Ivory Coast. And that's where Brianna is right now. She's learning the language and the culture of this West African region. And she intends to be a missionary there her whole life. And so who knows, maybe God will even let her go across that little border over to Liberia and tell people there about Jesus. Be pretty incredible. Well, Liberia has about 5.2 million people in it. And the name of the country, Liberia, the word itself means freedom. And a lot of the people who live in Liberia were actually people whose families were once slaves, some here in the U.S., some in the Caribbean, some in other African contexts. But they've gone to this country of Liberia, and now they're trying to build new lives there, which sounds great, and we're happy these people can pursue that freedom. But Liberia is a country that still has a lot of difficult challenges, a lot of poverty, and a lot of issues with conflict that exist in the nation. So many years ago, believers in other parts of the world helped Liberia by building Bible schools and helping train pastors there. Currently, there are no Assemblies of God missionaries that are in the country of Liberia, but there are about 700 churches that have been planted there, and about 1,000 pastors and seven functioning Bible schools there in the country of Liberia. And they're reaching about 86,000 people in the country of Liberia. And that's a lot of people, but when we compare to how many people are there, anyone remember how many people I said were in the country of Liberia? 5.2 million people. That's a lot more people that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So some of our funds from BGMC that we're going to raise this year are going to go to Liberia and specifically help those Bible schools and those churches train more pastors so there's more people to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is part of why we exist. It's part of what we believe we're called to do as a church is help resource and equip and fund this type of work on the other side of the world. And isn't it incredible that from little bitty Nelsonville, Missouri, we can 
impact the country of Liberia. Isn't that awesome? So after service today, we're going to celebrate what God helped us do in 2021 and the ways our BGMC money went and, and around the world. And we're going to get excited about 2022 by having our BGMC party right after service. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a couple gifts for you. We have some treats. It's going to be really, really fun. So everyone's going to want to stay around a few minutes after service. And I'll tell you right at the end, after we close, how we'll go down and do that. And yes, Summer's going, is it the, yes, it's time for a pie in the face for me because you raised more than $3,000 last year. So BGMC party right after service. We'll celebrate that. Uh, together. Now, being part, here's what I want to do, bring this back, being part of the work of God on the other side of the world is only possible because of what Jesus said there in Matthew 28, that he, Jesus, has all authority over all things. So that means he has authority here in the U.S., and he has authority in the country of Liberia. And we can be part of seeing the mission that he has told his people to be about and promised that will succeed take place on the other side of the world. So we know part of what we're to do as we're supporting missions and reaching these nations with the gospel message. But what else does God's authority over us in the church mean? As we've done in the last several weeks, I want to give you this big idea up front, and you can write it down or take a photo snap of it if that works well for you. Kids, I underlined the first part of it because that's what I want you to really focus on. Try to remember if you can. Adults, the second part of it is going to be really important as we put this in the context of our whole series that we are doing. Christians must recognize God's total authority over us in the church. We all need to know that. We all need to believe that. God has total authority over us in the church. And we further must live in obedience and submission in this sphere, in the church, as we call for and pursue obedience in all other spheres of life too. So adults, if you're thinking through the application of this to the rest of our series, you see what we're saying here is that God has total authority over us in the church, and it's important that we live submitted to and obedient to that authority as we are making this call, as we are doing the things, uh, saying the things that we're saying in this series and living in light of this truth that we're talking about in these other aspects of this series. We're dealing with really important cultural issues, right? The last two weeks, if you were in here, you, you know that. Matters of Christian faith and how God's rule impacts all of life. So we need to be obedient here because if we're not obedient here, the world will look at the church and say, see, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They don't follow their own God there. They won't want to then listen to what our God says about their lives and things outside these gatherings. So this is very important for us. We need to be careful and consistent with how we live in this sphere of life, as well as think carefully and clearly about the other spheres of life that we're talking about. So, let's understand this together. The Bible makes very clear, Jesus is the head of the church. Can everyone say that with me? Jesus is the head of the church, okay? That's the exact phrase that the Bible uses in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. And Ephesians 5.23 tells us Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior, So when we think about the church, we need to be very clear in how we think about and talk about the church. Everyone understand, this is Jesus' church. He's the head of it. He's the ultimate authority over the church. It's not the Pope. It's not regional bishops. 
It's not the local pastor or a body of elders or a board. It's not even the voting members of a congregation. Let's be really clear. This is not a company where shareholders who invest financially get the final decision in what happens in the church. This is Jesus's church. That's important to understand because a lot of people, we get distracted and we get this wrong and we start to act like the church belongs to us instead of belongs to Jesus. So, for example, if we think the church belongs to us, then we just try to make the church be and do everything that we like in the way we like, right? We want to sing our favorite songs. We want the carpet to be our favorite color. We want the decorations to mirror whatever we'd put up in our own home. We want everyone to focus on our favorite events and activities. We want everything to happen the way that we would prefer. And that becomes our goal for the church, making it aligned to our preferences, being what we want because we think it belongs to us. But the church isn't ours. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He, the text says, is the head of the church. He's the one who created the church. He's the one who owns the church. So if it's his totally, if he owns it all, this isn't a shared partnership. If he's sovereign king and ruler with all authority over all things, the one head of the true church, then we need to submit to what he says and do what he commands. So what does Jesus tell the church to do? Well, we saw part of what Jesus tells us to do is to be on the mission of making disciples of all nations. So that's part of what we do as a church. But there's actually more that God would command of us, specifically of us when we come together like this. And so this is what I want us to to hear and do. And kids, I want you to hear these things. I want you to understand them because it applies to you too. It'll help you understand why do we do the things we do when we go to church? Why, why do we come here and why does it kind of follow this pattern and why are there certain things we do? And why don't we get to do other things, right? We do certain things in the church because Jesus has told us to. This is the command of Christ, the head of the church. So we do certain things because he tells us to and we don't do other things because that's not why we exist, right? We don't come together and play video games. We don't watch the latest superhero movies. I mean, these are nice TVs, but we don't come in here and watch movies every week. Why? Because Jesus has told us specifically what he wants his church to do when we come together. And there's spiritual benefits, spiritual good that happens in us when we obey Christ and when we do the things he commands. So remember, our big idea here is this. Christians must recognize God's total authority over us in the church. We must live in obedience and submission in this sphere as we call and pursue obedience in all other spheres of life too. So the first thing that Jesus commands of us, and if you have been here for a while, uh, I would remind you we've talked about some of these things before. We did a, a series actually right after COVID changed the whole world, and we were not gathering for a few weeks. We came back together, and we thought deeply about what is the church? Why does the church exist? What do we do as the church? And so I'm going to remind you of some of those things from that series, Assembly Required. And if you want to go hear more details on any of these things that I identify today, you can go hear an entire message on that from our YouTube channels, Facebook, or podcast. Here's the first thing the church does, and I want everyone to see this. The first thing the church does is what we are doing right now, those of you who are here, is the church assembles. We gather together physically like this, the way we have today. This is what Jesus tells us to do. This is why we do it. And you have a lot of other things you could do on a Sunday morning. It could be a great day to sleep in. You could, go, you could go out and have nice brunch and all this other stuff. Why do Christians come together like this? Because Jesus tells us to. In fact, in the original language of the New Testament, kids, any of you remember what language the New Testament was written in originally? It wasn't English. Different language, Summer. Not Hebrew. That's the Old Testament. That's good, though. 
Not Latin, nope, an early translation. Anyone else want to help them out? Greek, yes, I hear it kind of, yeah. Greek, yeah, the New Testament was written in a language called Greek, originally, and the original word that's used, that we translate into English as church, is this word, ecclesia. Can everyone say ecclesia? Ecclesia, good job. See, you're already right there. You're on your way to first year Greek. You're just rolling right along. Ecclesia, and ecclesia is the word the Bible uses for the church, and it means a group gathering together. So understand, a church is a group of people gathering together for a specific purpose. It's not a virtual meeting on Zoom, praise God, right? (laughs) It's not a text group. It's not a video stream. It is a physical assembly of people coming together for a specific purpose. Now, we thank God that we have these other things to supplement our faith. And when we had snow days recently, we did a live stream. And that was good. There was some benefit from that. But, but we all know that's not quite enough, right? It's, if that's all we ever get is watching a computer screen, it's not the fullness of what God intends because he commands us to be an ecclesia, an assembly, a gathering together of God's people when we can for the purpose of what? Worshiping God together, right? So we see a great promise of Jesus. The very first time this word is used to describe the church in the Bible, the first time ecclesia shows up in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And listen to what Jesus says. I will build my church, that's ecclesia there, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This aligns very much with what we were just saying about Jesus' ownership and rule of the church, right? Jesus is the head of the church, the ruler of the church, the founder of the church. He says the builder of the church. And so he tells us he's putting together a people who are going to come together to worship him and do things to glorify his name. And that will not fail. The church will not be stopped. So this is why we have confidence in mission, right? This is why we believe God will build up his church in Liberia as we get to help support that effort through BGMC because God said the church will not be stopped. His mission will not fail. He will accomplish what he has said. And in fact, we actually get great confidence from the Bible itself because John has a vision of the end of times. And in John's vision of what's called Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we get to see what the church that Jesus is building looks like. John writes, After all these things, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In eternity, this is what is going to be there. It's going to be an ecclesia, a gathering of all of God's people, made up from people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all languages, across all periods of time, assembled together around the throne of God, worshiping Him. That should get us excited. That should give us confidence in what we're doing, knowing that what we do right now is a reflection, a small reflection of what's coming in eternity. So the second thing that we do, we gather, right? We assemble, that's our first thing. The second thing we do, because Jesus, the head of the church, tells us to do it, is we come together to hear from God. Do you know Jesus actually promises to speak to us? And tells us that his people will get to hear him. John chapter 10 verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
The God who's created all things, has authority over all things, says, I will speak to them, they will hear my voice, they will follow me. That's pretty incredible. So, so how do we hear God's voice? Well, God speaks to his church when we gather together like this through his word being preached like I'm doing right now. We don't come together and get to, to all sit here in quiet and wait for a booming voice to come down from heaven or a small whisper to just kind of fill up our heads individually. There's no magic messages. I don't come up here and do any kind of special rituals and then, oh, there's the, the words of God. This is the word of God. This is his voice speaking to us. When we gather and when there is preaching from the Bible, we are hearing the words of God being spoken to his people. God speaks to his people through the Bible. So when we come together, this has to be central to what we do, right? One of my favorite texts describing the Bible is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scriptures tell us this Bible is unique from everything else. It describes in English, we call it God-breathed in Greek. You want to learn another Greek term? It's the word theanoustos. Can you say theanoustos? This is the only thing that's theanoustos, not tradition, not opinions, not the great writings of other people. It's the word of God, the scriptures right here. This is how God speaks to us. It's why the preaching of the word is primary when we assemble as the church. Because God tells us specifically, this is to be at the center of our gathering. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 we read, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So this is primary to our gathering, hearing God speak through the preaching of his word. It's crucial to have biblical preaching. It's crucial for you to hear biblical preaching, to be focused, to listen. If it's hard to stay awake during preaching, then we need to go sleep earlier the night before or drink more coffee. That's why we make it. <laughs> like, this is important. This is crucial to our souls. This word of God is unique. It is authoritative. It is powerful. It changes lives. And we want to be obedient to what God commands, who says, preach the word and tells you then to hear the word. The third thing we do when we come together, so we've assembled, we've heard preaching, is then we also get to speak to God. It's absolutely incredible that we have the opportunity and the ability to speak to the God who's created all things, right? The creator, the ruler of not just this little area, but this whole planet and all the other planets in this entire universe, the God who sees all, that controls all of it, hears us when we pray, listens to our requests when we ask him to do something, moves on behalf of us asking him to intercede in a situation. That's absolutely incredible. He delights in us. And I'm just going to give you one text for the sake of time on this, but notice there's a connection between hearing from God first and then praying well. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a pretty incredible promise. If you and I hear the word of God, if we listen and we internalize the word of God, it begins to change how we think and the things we long for and desire and want to see happen. We learn how to pray in accordance with the will of God, and he does the things we ask for. You know, that's, that's amazing. 
When we gather like this, that's why it's crucial that we hear the word of God. That's why it's crucial that we pray together. Because listen, if you don't have those two things together, praying without knowing the word of God, praying against the will of God is completely pointless. If you don't know who God is, if you don't know what he has said, if you don't know what he's commanded and what he wants of you, then no matter how religious you are, as Muslims are, as Jehovah's Witnesses are, as any other religion may be, no matter how diligent they are, if they don't know the true God, if they don't have his word and believe his word, their prayers are meaningless and produce no results. So we come together and we get to speak to God. The fourth thing we get to do is we get to worship and glorify God. Now, often we think about worship time and our minds go to song time in service, which we just had. We sang together. That was wonderful. And God loves to hear us sing. He commands us actually to sing in the Bible. So that's part of worship and glorifying God for sure. But, but worship is more than just singing. Worship is more than this. The worship service is not the song time. And then there's the other service stuff around it. The worship service is all of this this morning. It's an act of worship to hear the word of God, to listen to him speak. It's an act of worship to pray. It is an act of worship to sing. It's also an act of worship to have godly conversations with others and to give to the Lord as we have done today. All of this is part of worship and glorifying God. Everything we do should be acts of worship. Colossians 3.17 tells us, whatever you do in word or deed, so everything you say or do, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So listen, we can worship God when we're grateful playing with our toys. That can be an act of worship, kids. You can worship God through your attitude when you go to school or do your homework. You can worship God through your relationships and how you treat one another. Adults, we can worship God through our jobs, how we use and invest our money. Everything can be done in a way that honors and glorifies God or all those things can be done in a way that has no regard for him and is sinful and disobedient to him. So we should strive in everything we do. There's no disconnected sphere that God does not have authority over, control over, and want worship from. The fifth thing that we do when we come together is we serve God and others. Listen carefully here, because when we come together and we assemble like this as the church, we're supposed to come in here with a mindset focused on God primarily, then others, and finally ourselves. Right? Going going back to what I said earlier, this is not supposed to be here, the church, all about us and our preferences. When we come together, we should be looking for how do we serve one another so that we can glorify God through that. Again, I'll just give you one verse, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. Each of you has received a gift, so use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is great to think about this verse in light, I think, of the business meeting we just had last week. Right? If you were here for that, if you're a member of our church, we elected several new people to do what? To serve. <laughs> to serve this church in various positions. Some of those people are brand new to those positions, and you're stepping into a new season of service with that. Some have been using their gifts that God's given them to serve in that position for a while now. We're grateful for these new people, grateful for the people who are continuing to serve, and we celebrate the fact that we had so many more people who are qualified and capable and would be willing to serve in those ways too. Right? We're supposed to serve. It's an incredibly exciting blessing to recognize that we have the opportunity and now we have people stepping in to serving 
roles. So last week, we celebrated the fact that we elected Eric Hathaway as a deacon. And the word deacon literally means servant, one who serves. So there's his job description. <laughs> we elected Jason Keeltz as our church secretary treasurer, Sean Hathaway as our Sunday school superintendent, Marsha Elston as our Sunday school secretary, Wendy Plunkett as our music director, Mandy Swisher as our ladies representative, and Caleb Wilson as our building and maintenance superintendent. And those aren't the only seven people who are serving in the church. We have many more. We have other deacons. We have people who are serving as Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, kids church leaders. We have people who serve by bringing breakfast and treats when we come together for times of fellowship. We have a team that comes up here every week to lead singing and play the music and handle the audiovisual equipment in the back. So many opportunities for people to serve. Why? Because God invites us to serve others and by doing that glorify him when we come together. So we as a church want to give people the opportunity to serve. It's part of what we do, and all people should want to be obedient to Christ and his command and live as a servant to others and to God. So the sixth thing we do when we come together is that we are refined by God. Coming together as an assembly like this means that we should be expecting to be refined by God. And this is the most uncomfortable one of all of them. It's hard to experience refinement. But understand this clearly. God loves you and I too much to leave us in our sin. Cares about us far too much to let us continue doing the wrong things that lead us away from him into disobedience from him. He will discipline us because he loves us. One text, Hebrews 12, 5-7 tells us, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom, the fa whom his father does not discipline? Listen, being a child of God means being disciplined, being refined, being grown by him. And that's not always fun or comfortable. And the reality is a lot of people don't like it, so they, they try and some do run away from that. But that's dangerous, that's disobedient, harmful to their souls. Refinement is part of what God tells us to expect as we come together in a church. It's what he wants us to experience through the church. So kids in particular, you need to know that when you're disciplined, when you're corrected... When you're told certain things are sinful, certain things are disobedient, you shouldn't do these things, even when you have consequences for those things, that's actually a good thing. It's not fun, I know, but it's for your good to learn right from wrong, to learn obedience here and now so you can be obedient to God and the things he has said. Sin and disobedience lead to death and destruction. So it's loving for someone to correct you it's loving for someone to tell you about sin that's in your life. It's good for you to be called to repentance and refinement. God wants us to be people who live in the light and kill our sins, not who hide in darkness and run from repentance. Sin and disobedience lead to death and destruction. And God loves his people, his children, far too much to let us go that way without calling us to repentance and trying to bring us in to refine us. So we need to embrace and rejoice when we are refined by God because that's what God does with his children. It's an act of love. 
Remember, our big idea is this. Christians must recognize God's total authority over us in the church. We must live in obedience and submission in this sphere as we call and pursue obedience in all other spheres of life, too. These things that we're talking about today, they're important things because these are the things that God has commanded his church, us as his people, when we come together to do. And he's the one, as we said, who has all authority over all things. So how we live and what we do in the church matters a lot. And anywhere that we are not obeying him as a church, anywhere we're not doing these things, anywhere where personally maybe we're not appreciating these things and focusing on these things with the right attitude and the right heart posture when we come together, then we need to repent. We need to be corrected by the word of God. We need to let the Lord do a refining work to grow us to be more like him and more obedient to him. And that leads us to the last thing in our list today is that we are told as the church, when we gather, to celebrate Christ as our Savior. If we go back to Ephesians 5.23, where we were towards the beginning, we read this text. Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Jesus is the Savior. The Bible tells us what that means in great detail and unpacks that for us so we can understand what it means that Jesus is our Savior and what he did to save us. See, it's very good news that Jesus is not just the God, King, head of this body who gives commands, which he could rightly do, but he's also our Savior who will redeem us from our sin, forgive our failures. And we need that. We need a Savior because if we admit honestly in this room today, we haven't obeyed in doing everything that God's commanded us to do as a church. Not perfectly, right? I mean, maybe externally, you were here, you assembled physically, you came, great. But your heart could have been distracted in the songs. Maybe you didn't give as an act of worship, you gave out of obligation, or didn't give at all. Maybe you're not listening to God speak through his word, but your mind's wandering to, well, not the game this week, but maybe the one next week. All of us should admit we, we fall short. We don't obey all of these things that God has commanded, but he's our savior, which is such great news for us because the gospel, the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to save us, to redeem us from those failures, the sins, from our rebellion. He paid the price that we owe. He purchased our freedom and forgiveness so we can glorify him forever. In that great assembly we're headed towards, that ecclesia around the throne, we get to be part of that because Jesus is the savior of all who would trust in him. Not all who are perfect now, all who would trust and be forgiven of their sins. So the Bible tells us then, all of us who are true Christians, part of his church, we were bought by Jesus. The end of Acts 20, verse 28, describes it this way. We are the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So we need to be clear, we need to be sure of this, and then we need to leave, live consistent with this. He is the head of this body. This is Jesus' church. He owns us. He leads us. He gets to define us. He gets to command us in what we do, and our responsibility is to obey him and his total authority. Christians, we must recognize God's total authority over us in the church. 
We must live in obedience and submission in this sphere as we call for and pursue obedience in all other spheres of life too. So let's be clear. What does God tell us to do? What does he tell us to be about as the church? Let's try to make those things a priority for us as we understand that we need to, one, assemble together, physically come together to worship him and to hear from God through his word preached as it is here. We need to speak to God. That's prayer. We need to worship and glorify God. Not just in song, but in heart posture, in everything that we do. We need to serve God and others. Recognize this isn't about us. Life's not really about us. We serve others so we can serve God. And six, we need to expect when we're part of a church, a family, a commitment like this, we are going to be refined by God and we should long for that. It's uncomfortable at times, but it's for our good. Refined gold is worth far more than unrefined. And then we need to come in here and celebrate Christ as our Savior. When we've fallen short, when we've recognized our impurities, when we've recognized our rebellion, when we've been confronted on those things, we repent and we see a great Savior who forgives us as we seek him. And finally, we need to be obedient and we need to live on mission. Jesus commands us, as we started with, make disciples in every nation. That means we get to invest our resources. That means we get to support missionaries around the world. Those are wonderful things to do. But it also means that right here in Nelsonville Assembly, we need to make disciples in this place, this building. We need to come in here ready to learn, to grow, to be equipped. And then we need to make disciples in these communities. We go out of here ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not just my job. That's your job, Christian. Proclaim the name of Jesus in the relationships you have so that we can make disciples. We can obey these commands of Christ. Worship team, if you'll come this morning, they're going to lead us in a final song of response. And we're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to have a few moments to respond. So kids, the, the way we do this is it's just a chance for us to lift up our voices. You can sing the songs if you want. You can pray where you are. You can ask mom and dad to pray with you. You can come to these altars. Anyone's welcome to come to these altars and pray here this morning. If you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Well, let's be obedient to Christ and his commands for the church as we engage this world with the call to submit to the one who has all authority over all things, both inside this place as we demonstrate in our lives and outside this room as we see him saying from scripture.